whatever it is that makes you different, you have to figure out how to use it to your advantage. Because you have to stop looking at it as like kryptonite, like that's your superpower. Yeah, I'm a black girl that's doing some weird stuff for black girls to do. But that's honestly what makes me my money. That's what separates me from the other women stunt drivers is my color. And that's the reason that I get called for that job and they didn't get called for that job. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing and your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on ladies. It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Brianna Lynch is in the driver's seat today. She's a professional stunt driver for the motion picture industry and builds drift cars. When she is not filming movies, she competes in drifting events. Bree is currently one of the youngest working female stunt drivers in the industry. She holds the record as the youngest woman to perform the Canon and Sidewinder stunts. Don't worry, I had to look those up too, and they are insane. Now sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femkinics, this is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Bree Lynch. In the hot seat with me today. Thank you for joining me, Bree. How are you doing today? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well. I am super excited to have you on here. I affectionately refer to it as stalking my guests. I like going out and researching the women before I invite them because I'm very particular with who I have on my show because I know my 13-year-old daughter, she'll go out and research some of these women. Like, who does mom have on her show? And uh, 13 years old, pretty impressionable. And I want to present the women who lead with their intelligence and skills rather than their sexuality. And there's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with sexuality. Um, I just want my daughter to see that you can be a strong, powerful woman through your intelligence and skills. And Mm -hmm. the sexuality is secondary to that. You don't have to lead with that. Amen. I totally agree with you. So that's that's why I'm particular about that. And you foot the bill perfectly, Brie. So thank you for <laughs> being who you are, representing women with class and sophistication. I, I admire what you do. And, you know, I, I went into a rabbit hole with your content, if I'm being perfectly honest. I seriously, <laughs> I, it was a rabbit hole. The next thing I know, I'm like, holy shit, I've been looking at this for an hour. I'm like, this is fascinating. <laughs> That's great. At least it's entertaining. I'm glad. But what you do is is not a dime a dozen, right? It, it's yeah. it's very specialized. And 
even though from the pre-recorded bio, the listeners have an idea of what you do. But before we dive completely into that, I want to back up. I think I know the answer to this, but for the listeners that may not know your story, what got you diving into this path that you're on? How young were you? How'd you catch the bug? (laughs) Okay. So um, first off and foremost, uh, my dad was a professional motocross racer before he and my mom had me. I was the firstborn child. Um, And I pretty much had cameras shoved in my face since I left the womb. So um, I kind of uh, got really comfortable on camera, but my dad was a professional motocross racer um, before I was born. And he actually decided to switch career paths when he found out that he was going to have a child because he felt like that wasn't sufficient or I guess, uh, what's the word? Like it wasn't um, like reliable enough because if he got hurt, he was out of a job and quite frankly, probably wasn't making that much money as a professional motocross racer. So he actually had his foot in the stunt community in the world of stunts in the movie industry. Um, Just a couple shows here and there though, but then he really decided to chase that down before I was born so that he could try to get into that industry. So the short answer is nepotism. Uh, I got my first dirt bike when I was three years old and started racing by the time that I was six. And then yeah, I just, I kept racing motocross. Um, I grew up racing motocross. I did that till I was like, ah, I want to say like 17 or 18 years old. And then by that time, I had actually torn my ACL um, three times in a time span of four years. And I decided that motorcycles were probably not the safest thing for me. But guess what? It was time for me to get my driver's license. So <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> it was like a perfect segue, a really smooth transition. Um, and uh, yeah, I already liked fast cars, you know, manual transmission, stuff like that. I was already into like sports cars because my dad had like sports cars and stuff. So of course my first car naturally was a five speed and uh, I was just like, okay, well, rear wheel drive, little five speed. Here we go. And eventually I guess it just kind of took off from there and here I am now. (laughs) Wow. And I'm just curious and maybe your dad shared this with you. Maybe he didn't. Did he ever get any of the I don't know what I'm looking for. People assume dads want boys. And when you talk he about did. when you talk about especially what your dad does and did, it's mm-hmm. it's very accepted and almost pushed onto boys. Now you mm-hmm. were a girl, right? Yeah. Or you are a yeah, girl. Surprise to him. Not that you were. <laughs> you are a girl. <laughs> Did your dad ever like run into people like, hey, you wish you had a boy to teach him this stuff or? You know, my dad was very open and honest with me that he wanted a boy. Like that was his like, you know, biggest dream in the world was to have a boy. And my mom, I think, wanted a boy first, too. Um, I do have a little brother now, but uh, my dad, I guess he just decided to raise a kid like my parents were together my whole life. But he just decided that he was just going to do what he knew how to do pretty much. And he was just like, well, let's see if this works. Like I have to bond with them somehow. So, uh, I guess that's why he got me my dirt bike. And he was just like, well, I mean, you know, girls can do it too. It definitely was not popular, like not nearly as popular as it is now for, you know, a female to be doing anything in any kind of motorsports, um, back in 96 when I was born. But yeah, I guess he just decided to do what he knew how to do. And he was just like, I can do this. And like, I can teach her how to ride a bicycle and stuff. So that's what he did. And I just happened to latch onto it. Um, the first year of my life, actually, my dad didn't work as much and my mom was going to work a lot more than him and so he was kind of like repairing our house the first house that we ever lived in um I think it was a little bit of a fixer-upper and he just kind of had me hanging around him all the time because he was staying home and my mom was going to work at that time 
which only lasted for about a year. But I think that I just became kind of like a daddy's girl in that sense. And I just wanted to be around him and whatever it was that he was doing. I didn't realize that it was weird for like girls to be involved in motorsports until I hit middle school. And then everybody made sure that I was aware that it was weird for girls to be doing motorsports, you know? How? Like, what was that like? What did that <sighs> look like? I got made fun of so much growing up. Like, so much. It was insane. I There were so many times. I never actually thought about quitting. I never thought, like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to stop doing what I'm doing. I just tried to hide it, um, which is something that I think I still tend to do now because it comes to a shock to a lot of people that I'm a stunt driver. Like, a lot of people have no idea. I haven't. I can't even tell you how many interviews I've done that they're like, wait, you're a stunt driver. I didn't know. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I do that good of a job, like not telling people. <sighs> um, but yeah, I think that's just honestly like. I got to ask because I'm like, my mind's a little blown by that. Like, what would they be interviewing you for? Just the fact that I drift and that I build cars and I guess that's gotcha. it. Okay. So it's the, the car building and drifting side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the enthusiast part of me that they they find me through. And then they're like, wait a second. What? I'm like, yeah. How do you think I afford this race car? <laughs> this is not paying my bills. This is spending my money. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that blows me away. Yeah, I just got really good at hiding it pretty much. And like I just learned to uh, keep the things that are really precious to me to myself. So motocross kind of became that. I did gymnastics as well. So I kind of like, I guess, capitalized on the fact that I was a gymnast. And then motocross was like my thing that I did on the weekends and during mm -hmm. the weekdays after school that nobody knew about. You know, there wasn't like social media when I was back in middle school. So right. nobody really knew. But yeah, I mean, I just I kept riding anyway. I just kept it to myself so that I wouldn't be getting made fun of so much. So now did your folks catch any kind of crap about having their little girl in these dangerous things? Maybe from my grandparents. <laughs> but That was about it. Everybody else thought it was fine. Because, I mean, it's it's kind of that old stereotype, like boys are rough and, you know, little girls are dainty and don't want them to get hurt. Well, it's true. But you know what? My dad, see, okay, so my mom was really against me getting into the world of stunt driving. She was not about it. She liked the motocross thing. She was okay with it. It was really nerve-wracking for her. But I think because I had been doing it for so long, she was a little bit more warmed up to the idea. But then when it came to me getting my driver's license and getting to stunt driving, because I got my driver's license late because I had a torn ACL when I was supposed to take my test the first time and my car was manual. Can't push the clutch in with a torn ACL. Yeah. So yeah. I had to wait. Um, but once it came to stunt driving, my mom was scared. She was so scared. She was like, I do not want her doing that stuff that you do in a car. Like, we're not having it. I do not support that at all. My dad kind of just convinced her that it was, Smarter for me to at least go to the track with him and train to do this stuff. Number one, so that if I ever wanted to make money doing that, that's what I could do. And at least I had a door that was open for me because yep. at least I already had the skill set. I was trained for it. And number two, that it was going to make me a better driver on the road anyway. Because he kind of explained to her, I grew up in New Jersey where we actually have seasons, unlike California where I live now. Yeah. And uh, my first car was a little rear wheel drive convertible five speed. Not the best on snow for sure. No. <laughs> not at all snow rain like we get all kinds of weather there and he's like you don't want her to like be driving to school and get in a car accident because the rear end started kicking out and she started sliding a little bit and didn't know what to do yep do you and my mom was like 
No, I guess not. He's like, or hydroplaning when you're driving in the water. So is your dad a part-time salesperson too? <laughs> no, but he should be. <laughs> it's great sales. He, he really should be. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that was kind of his excuse. And I was just doing it for fun. At first I was like, yeah, it's fun. Like, let's learn how to like do donuts and stuff. And like, you know, learn how to not hydroplane and like things like that, whatever. So my dad and I would like go to parking lots of malls and stuff because there's not a lot of racetracks in New Jersey. <laughs> um no. but yeah that was that's how I like started and uh this is how it's going now so that leads you up to 16 years old mm-hmm. and up until that point you hit it because you got made fun of yeah what would kids say to you I'm just curious like what kind of oh stuff? my gosh everyone thought that I was a lesbian which there's no problem what with that what does that but, like, mean oh, I don't know it's so frustrating and, and I'll be no. honest Brie I am a lesbian Okay. It doesn't matter. Your sexual right. orientation is not tied to what your personal interests are. That's exactly what it I'm is saying. So which, like I said, exactly like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like that's fine. But like, it was so annoying. Let me tell you something that actually carried with me from middle school to my now age of almost 25 years old. I started trying to convince people. You know, that I was straight because that was super important in middle school, right? Like trying to convince people that I was straight. Oh, yeah. So what I started doing was I was buying hoodies and like outerwear from the boys section in the Uh stores that my mom would take me into. And I would buy them oversized because then I had this like make pretend boyfriend that I was always like wearing like his hoodies (laughs) and stuff. Yeah. Pretend boyfriend. (laughs) I swear. That was the only way that I was able to get people to leave me alone. (laughs) Like his name was Alex. Like and he raced motocross with me and he was really good. (laughs) oh my god the kids from middle school probably still remember that to this day but that's where I got like wearing like bigger hoodies and like baggier clothes from was specifically from that and I remember the first time that I ever did that I think I was like 13 or 14 years old and I still carry that to this day like I am wearing like an XL hoodie right now and I know damn well that I'm a small like it does not make any sense um but that's kind of where I got that from and now it's just something that I'm comfortable with but that's originally where my idea came from was I was just like okay well how can I make this up Middle school's a bad social ex- it's experiment so horrible it's, it's horrible terrible. it's so bad but yeah now it's become like a part of my style but that's where it came from was I was just trying to get people to shut up and leave me alone like I was like you guys don't even know what I'm doing like it doesn't make any sense to me you know did not make any sense to me Do you ever run into those people now doing what you do and they're like absolutely not I mean there's some people that like you know like some lingerers from high school that like run into me on Instagram or whatever and they're like oh my god have you been it's like so great let's catch up I'm like why you were never nice to me before like right why why be nice to me now yeah Yeah. I mean I think because I left my hometown and I went so far away like literally to the opposite end of the country (laughs) doesn't happen very often And I'm guessing you guys moved to California just because of the movie industry for the most part. Actually, no. So my mom still lives in New Jersey. And my little brother lived in New Jersey up until last year. Uh, My dad lived in New Jersey until like 2016 or 17, maybe 18. But I moved to California in 2014 because I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go to Academy of Art University uh, for filmmaking and photography. And that was the only school that I applied to. I was like, well, I'm going here or I'm going nowhere. And that was like my way of getting out of New Jersey. So I actually moved to California for college so that I could attend school. And then I just stayed and never left. (laughs) But your folks live there now, right? Uh, No, my mom still lives in New Jersey. And now my dad lives in California. Got it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I'm following. Yeah. He kind of followed me over there. So I moved first and then he followed me. And you have one sibling, a younger brother? Yes. How many years apart are you guys? 
four and a half years apart and he doesn't do anything that I do, which is crazy. Cause my dad was like, of course, all excited when he got this little boy finally, like, yes, like he's going to race motocross and like, you know, be a stunt driver. Nope. Zero interest <laughs> whatsoever. And he's a horrible driver. Like this kid wrecks like one car every year easily. I'm like, how? But like, do we even come from the same family? Like, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I always, I always make fun of my dad for that. I'm like, mm, you wanted a boy really bad, didn't you? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Say that again, Dad. What was that? Exactly. No, I'm so glad that my dad just like didn't care, you know, and he was just like, oh, I'm just gonna know, I'm just gonna do what I know how to do because if it wasn't for him, I don't know that I would have ever found this, you know. What a cool opportunity to connect with your dad too. Oh yeah. And just have a like some some kids never have that with their parent. Like there's it's just true. not that common interest. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, my mom like even though she doesn't know how to drive manual transmission and like she doesn't ride dirt bikes and stuff, like my mom was also a a rock for me growing up, you know? Like my mom was the girl that knew what it was like to like get made fun of and like, you know, have to deal with these like bullies and stuff in school because my dad like boys that ride dirt bikes that's cool you know what I mean so he like doesn't understand he's like oh it'll be cool when you get older which he was right but like it wasn't cool when I was younger so my mom really was the one that like really pushed me into continue just doing what I was doing and she's like you're good at this you know those kids might be making fun of you now but that might make you money when you get older so you never know just do what you want you know do you think you would have stuck with it if it weren't for your mom I think my dad probably, I don't, he wouldn't have made me, but I think he would have really encouraged me to continue doing it. Um, yeah. Cause my dad, like, even when I would like fall down or I'd get like hurt on my dirt bike or whatever, he'd always make sure that I got right back on it. He's like, you can't be afraid of this. You know, he's mm-hmm. always like, you can't be afraid of something. You can't let something make you so fearful that it's going to control what you do with your life was probably a really important lesson that he taught me. So he would always make me get right back on my dirt bike. Like I tore my ACL one time. He was like, you better go do that corner and then we can do whatever you need to do after that. I was like, dude, (laughs) what do you mean? (laughs) Like I can't walk. Like my knees messed up. It's like, good thing you have to sit down. Go ahead. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. But there's a lot of truth in that, right? There is. There there is is so much truth Talk about a core life lesson that applies Mm -hmm. to everything. It's so true. And like now as an adult, I'm starting to realize this stuff. Like I'm like, okay, like this really made like a huge difference. And I didn't even know that it was. I just thought my parents were being annoying, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But it really did like teach me how to live my life and how to go through my life day by day, you know. It's interesting because like I had mentioned, I always do uh, a lot of research on my guests. And, you know, I went through your Instagram page, checked out your YouTube channel, um, and listeners, if you haven't gone and checked out Bree's YouTube channel, we'll provide you all of the links to that, uh, to her channel and stuff. It is way cool. You definitely need to check it out. <laughs> Thanks. But it's interesting looking at all of that content, Bree, and to hear you say, and especially what you do, you're a stunt driver. You've had an opportunity to, uh, you know, rub elbows with Jay Leno. You've had mm-hmm. opportunity to work with you know, air quote, what people call celebrities in Mm -hmm. movies, you get to double them in in this, right? And to think all that you have done, that when you were younger, you were bullied. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's sometimes, you know, especially younger girls that are watching what you're doing and seeing these I don't I don't even want to call them glass ceilings. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I don't feel that as women we have 
glass ceilings. I feel like okay. we have sticky, sticky feet. And what I mean <laughs> by that is a lot of times women won't go and push themselves or go after something because they're not certain enough that they can do it or that they'll get it, mm-hmm. like get the job or whatever. Yeah. So they'll just pass it up. Mm-hmm. And that's that's interesting because your mentor has been your dad. And he, what he's brought to the table for you is not allowing you to have the stereotypical female sticky feet, mm-hmm. what I call sticky feet. But in listening to all of this, because you, you, you represent yourself as a strong, confident young woman, Thanks. but to think of you as being bullied, I mean, I'm bringing this up because I want to bring this full circle for the listeners because we all experience it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in school, sometimes that's at the shop they work at, where they're mm-hmm. bullied by other men. Mm-hmm. It's the adult version of bullying. But yep. the principle and what it is at its core is the same. What were some of the things that you did? And, and I'm curious, because that was middle school, and you are a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Not only are you doing something unique for a woman, there are not that many women stunt drivers. Yep. Do you know any other women of color stunt drivers? Nope. And you're one of the youngest ones ever, am I right? Yep. You've been doing this since, how old were you when you got your first job, stunt driving? (sighs) Okay, so my first stunt job, technically, was when I was seven. But my first stunt driving job that really, like, kick-started my career and all I've been doing is stunts ever since then was when I was 18. And it was a motorcycle job for the movie Creed. Uh, I was Mm -hmm. doing motorcycle stunts on Creed. And then ever since Creed came out, I never stopped getting phone calls. Um, And I guess there just wasn't really a black, like, woman to drive before that. So the movie industry has this really, really nasty, horrible habit of putting people that do not match the description of the talents, like actor, actress, in positions that they should not be in to double them, which... Don't get me wrong. This is something that I express a lot uh, because I think it's really important. Explain that a little bit before we move on. And let me see if I can do it. So let me see if I've done my homework and you can Uh call me out if I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) This is how I'm interpreting what you're saying. Mm -hmm. If it is a female actress, Mm -hmm. they will get a a male stunt double and put a wig on them. Correct. Correct. And even sometimes even worse, sometimes they'll use a... Caucasian woman to double a black woman, which is not okay either because we have That's certain dumb. rules against that. Yeah. So this is a predicament that has happened multiple times because clearly when people call me for work, I'm not always available because sometimes I'm busy. I just got called for work about 45 minutes ago. I'm currently in Canada until the middle of May shooting on Batwoman season two. So, you know, obviously sometimes I'm needed in two places at once and stunt coordinators will freak out because they don't have another woman of color that they can trust to drive a vehicle in the way that is described for the scene that they're trying is to there shoot. Any other women of color stunt drivers? So there here's the huge problem that I have within my industry, okay? Dangerous, right? Stunts are safe, we make them really safe. But if you put the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time, it becomes really freaking dangerous, right? So I could imagine. I saw yeah. some of the stuff you did, that barrel roll. When, <laughs> because I'll be honest, when you fill out your pre-interview form, and one of the things that um, I asked about 
I think it's one of your career accomplishments that you're most proud of or something. You talked about mm-hmm. the barrel roll. And I'm like, yeah. what the hell is a barrel roll? So I went and Googled it. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I about fell over. I'm like, you did that? Yeah. Anyway, I was sorry. I don't mean to girl. digress here. But I'm like, yeah. I was the yeah. youngest girl to ever do that, to do a sidewinder. Like, that was the, that was the, I was the youngest female to or ever. it was a sidewinder. Side I'm sorry. Yep. I totally, the sidewinder. No, it's okay. I've done, I've done cannon rolls too. Like, so yeah, I was one of the youngest <laughs> women to ever do that. So that was really exciting. How old were you when you did that? 21. And I've been Jesus. flipping one car over consecutively every year since then, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's way cool. It's such a, it's like such a privilege in the industry. It's so, it's so funny to like even think of. It's so freaking weird to even think about, but it takes a crazy amount of trust for somebody to trust you to wreck a car because you only have so many takes i imagine right? you have one which is why it's so crazy and like it's so difficult to get somebody to trust you but like you would think like anybody can crash a car like anybody can like push a button to make the car explode like how bit like how hard is it no it's like extremely difficult like there's some of the most nerve-wracking jobs i have ever had but they're like my most proud moments because it takes so much trust to get somebody to let you do that and the fact that I was trusted at 21 by Jay Leno to do that and like to come on his show, I was like, oh, Lord, like, this is it. Like, I was like, this is what I actually <laughs> yeah. signed up for. I always knew I had big shoes to fill, but I was like, wow, like, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, there are there are other women of color in my industry that are qualified to drive on set. So, of course, when I get a call from a stunt coordinator and they ask me, oh, do you have somebody else that you can recommend? I tell them it really depends on the project. It depends on the length of the project. What are they doing? Like, you know what I mean? Is this a full-fledged car chase? There's different skill levels. Yeah. I'm like, is this like a $100,000 car that we're dealing with? Or is this like, you know, you need somebody to like pull into a parking spot and peel out kind of hot? Like, which one is it? You know, because there's big difference yeah. between the two of them. Sure. I can recommend somebody to like pull into a parking spot and like, you know, peel out or whatever for you. It might do not a be donut. To... Do something like yeah, that. Yeah. But... Like I can... You know, recommend people for that all day long. In the middle of an empty parking lot, do donuts, sure. With an actor standing in the middle of the donuts, not too sure, you know? So, um, of course, there's, like, other girls that have the driving skill set, but they don't have... The craziest thing is is I'm probably the one female of color with the most amount of seat time. I'm not going to say I'm Mm -hmm. the best one or anything, you know? I mean, I've heard people say whatever they want to say, but I definitely have the most seat time out out of everybody because... And listeners, by Bree saying that... That's other people saying Brie is the best, and that's yeah. not being modest. <laughs> let me just <laughs> I mean, let me just say know, it for you. <laughs> I don't. I'm not ever gonna like try to toot my own horn, but I definitely have the most amount of seat time. I've been practicing stunt driving consistently since 2014. I've been through three, four, four, four different cars. I think still have all four of them. You know, I've trained in like four different cars consistently. I've taken all the different classes. I've taught at some of the schools. Like, you know, I've got a lot of seat time under my belt. And then I have schools like stunt driving school. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, there's different schools. There's like um, motion picture driving clinic is one of the most popular ones. And I actually helped assist teach at that school for a little while. And then I also went to Drivers East. That was another one. Yeah, there's a bunch of different driving schools. And to kind of pull it back to the the bully conversation, mm-hmm. did you ever experience any bullying? Because there's always like the middle school or even maybe high school. 
But there is adult mm-hmm. bullying too. Did you ever experience that in the mm-hmm. industry? Some sometimes people don't, and that's it, cool. But just out of curiosity, I think it's, I think it's like a very, like swept under the rug form of bullying, but not like it's not consistent enough to like call it bullying. But for sure, like okay, so one of the sets that I have worked on very recently, um, I was on set for rehearsal. You know, we were doing a whole rehearsal day, testing all the cards. I had to drive three different cars for that specific show. Um, and so I was testing all the cars, everything, whatever. I got in one of the cars um, and I felt like the clutch was going out because I could hear the flywheel chattering. And I was like, okay, there's no problem with this right now, but there's going to be as soon as we actually go on set and we're trying to use this like for you know several days in a row or whatever. So this clutch needs to be replaced. So they're like, well, has the position of the clutch you know, disengagement moved. And I was like, no, but I can literally hear the flywheel chattering. And it wasn't doing this this morning. Like you should replace it. You know, like that's your, you know, your job. Picture cars, mechanics, like that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Like I was just letting you know so that we don't have like a catastrophe on set, please. So, um, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, it was fine this morning. I was like, yes. And I've been driving sticks since I was like 16 years old. Okay. Like I'm not, I didn't burn out your clutch. I'm just letting you know it's on its way out, whatever. So finally we put that car off to the side. Another car that I test drive um, is fine for most of the day. And then all of a sudden after like hour four, it feels like the diff is going to fall out of the car. Uh, so I like told them, I explained to one of like to the lead mechanic over the phone, Hey, it feels like the diff is going to fall out of this car. I don't know if this is like a bad diff bushing or like something like that or whatever. He's like, Oh no, the diff is welded. That's what you're feeling. I was like, Okay. Uh, I, I build and race cars. I literally have like three drift cars that I have built myself and like physically taken engines out of. I know how to weld a diff. Like I'm very familiar with driving and with welded diffs. Okay. I don't mean to come on aggressively, but I obviously have to tell you that I do know what I'm right. talking about. I wouldn't pull the world differential out of the bright blue sky and just throw it into your lap. Right. Okay. I wouldn't just, oh, it feels like a diff bushing. Like as if I don't know what I'm, if I don't know what I'm talking about, why would I even know that term? <laughs> right. Hello. Like, right. please. So um, yeah, of course. Then he's like, oh, I don't think that's what it is, but you know, I'll come down there, whatever. It's probably the air suspension, this and that, that, da, 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 whatever. I was like, okay, fine. Put that car off to the side, drive the next one, you know, and I waited for him to show up. Then at the very end of the day, then he's like, oh, wow. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what it feels like. I was like, yep. You know, but of course it was a fight for me to even get the guy's phone number to talk to him. Because they're like, uh, it's probably the diff just because it's welded. I was like, they all have welded diffs. And I didn't say anything until the fourth hour of driving this car. Yeah. I, please listen to me. Like, that's the reason we have rehearsal. So it's almost like a passive aggressive type of bullying. It is. Exactly. And then also, like, it's like a one-time deal because it's just the one time that I have to deal with them and then it's done. Yeah. Or... Sometimes, you know, when we ask them, hey, could you put like a dual caliper hydro in this car? You know, like a hydraulic handbrake that has two calipers. So the one for the handbrake is directly designated to one caliper and it's not tapped into the main braking system. Mm -hmm. I ask them to like do that or whatever. And then I get on set and the thing doesn't work. Let's put it in layman's term. The e-brake doesn't work. And then I tell them, I'm like, hey, the e-brake doesn't work. They're like, no, I tested it myself. It works. You just got to pull it hard enough. First of all, sir, I'm like five foot even and 125 pounds. So therefore, 
you being six foot one, like 175, yes, you are much stronger than I am and have more leverage than me. So with the e-brake all the way back here, I can't pull it as much as you can when you're pushed way back here and you have to pull it like so this. adjusted already. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> different, right? And then also you tested it at like 45 miles an hour. Of course it's going to slide. I have to do this at like 15, 20 miles an hour. It's not the same. Like, I'm just telling you what the issue is. I'm not trying to make you lose your job. I'm literally just trying to make sure that you fix it so I can do my job easier too. Let's work together so everyone's happy. Correct. I'm like, the reason that we're both here is because we're both professionals at this and like they trust us both to get this done. So if you could just like help me out. Do your part and I'll do mine. Yeah, don't like throw me under the bus as if, oh, she's not yanking the e-brake hard enough. Okay, sir, well, please attach a rod for me so that I can do that because I can't, quite frankly. Yeah. I'm not strong enough. Whatever it is that you want to call it, I can't do it. So Now, just making sure that um, we're bringing everyone full circle, not only do you do stunt driving, mm-hmm. but you're an enthusiast, and, and you just mentioned you have built multiple cars yourself. Yeah. Do, do you find in, in your stunt driving profession that having that knowledge has helped you be a better driver? Oh, Because in this example, gosh. it seems like it's definitely helped you and not only from being a better driver, it almost seems like it's helped you make it safer for yourself because mm-hmm. you're able to call these things out. Yep. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't even realize how much dealing with cars that I have built has helped me in my career until I went on that set mm-hmm. at all. I didn't even notice. Like, I didn't even realize. Like, I always knew that people were like, oh, you know, when you know how to work on your car, it makes you a better driver. I never understood that. I was just like, okay, like whatever, you know, and I got tired of, of waiting on like shops to like fix cars and stuff like that. So that's why I learned how to, how to work on the car, which is another funny story too, because I did not get that from my dad. My dad was the guy that would take his car, his car to Jiffy Lube and get the oil changed. (laughs) That's That's a huge (laughs) misinterpretation that people have. They think that my dad taught me like everything that I knew. I'm like, actually, no. Okay. He brought in like motocross and stunt driving and stuff. He was not into drifting. He didn't like drift cars. He didn't know what a steering angle kit was um, and uh, didn't work on his own cars. He didn't have tools at the house and stuff. I decided to do like all of that on my own and learn all that on my own. And I dragged him into it. <laughs> Interesting. How did you learn then? What Just <sighs> self-taught YouTube? Yeah, literally. Yeah. I mean, I had, um, I guess, so I found this one really cool girl that I became really good friends with. Her name is Amelia. And she has a YouTube channel too. She's like very popular on YouTube. Her name is Amelia Hartford. And uh, she wants to be an actress. So she followed me on Instagram for a while, I guess. She found me at an audition that my agent had sent me to because they needed like a girl with pretty hands to do a car commercial or something. So she's like, they just need to see your hands. Like, just go. I was like, fine. She found me at the audition. (laughs) She found me at the audition. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. I want to make sure I understand this. Yeah. So they leveraged you for your hands. Yeah. Not your driving or anything, just your pretty hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were like, oh, we need a girl with pretty pretty hands to drive this car or whatever. Come on. Hold your hands up. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Pretty hands. There you go. (laughs) So anyway, so um, Amelia found me at that audition and she was like, Brianna? I was like, yeah, hi, who are you? Neither one of us had an Instagram following whatsoever at the time. Yeah. I had like maybe like 800 followers or something like it was nothing. And so the fact that she like found me at this audition, it was like, Brianna, I was like, oh, hey, what's going on? Yeah. So she like found me at the audition and then she and I just like became friends like in real life. So we exchanged phone numbers. Mm -hmm. 
kept in touch, whatever. And she was always working in the garage, like on her cars. And she already had a YouTube channel and stuff like that. She just started her YouTube channel. She's like, Hey, you want to like come hang out? I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. So I would go. Um, I knew nothing whatsoever. I was just like, yeah, sure. I'll go hang out. Is she based out of California as well? Yeah. So I guess that, gotcha. I guess she kind of taught me, but she never like actually like taught me. Like she wasn't like, this is a 10 millimeter socket. Do not lose this or it will be lost forever. She never said like, you know, 15, <laughs> you know, millimeter socket. Like none of that stuff. Yeah. She didn't say any of that to me. So she didn't like teach me any of that stuff particularly. Um, so I just kind of picked it up. I was just like, okay, like this looks like this size socket. And I would go and I would try to take it off. You know, I'd try to take off the bolt, but then I'd strip the head because it was the wrong size socket. And like, I just learned like as I was going along and then, uh, yeah, I think I hung out with her for a while, but I think honestly when when I was helping like helping her like on her YouTube channel and stuff, I really don't think that I knew that much because like I think once I really got my own like when I had my first car that I decided to build, I had a car already. I had a 350Z. It was just like stock engine, you know, everything like that. And uh there was no work that really needed to be done to it aside from like the oil being changed. But then once I bought my race car that I now have, it's a black car with a lot of sparkles and it's got a livery. It's got like a blue livery and everything has a number 11 on the door. That car, oh my gosh, the biggest headache I have ever faced in my entire life. What a female that car is. I call it my girlfriend. I have a girlfriend (laughs) and a boyfriend, my two cars. (laughs) That's the girlfriend because she gets an attitude for absolutely zero reason whatsoever. And um, yeah, there's just something always wrong with her. It's really annoying. Like stock engine in it i learned how to put on like lower control arms a whole steering angle kit on the car that was the first thing that i did that was fine uh put a roll cage in the car well like learned how to weld and everything did that welded the diff ready to go like put on you know coil over stuff like that go to the track for the first time ever the engine seizes halfway through the day it's seized yep seized just would not turn on whatsoever. Just was like, okay, great. Uh, have to figure out how to get this home with no trailer. Because we were like driving the cars on the street still at that point. I was like, sick. Yeah. And Jay Leto's garage was the next day. We filmed the next day. <laughs> were you supposed to use your car for anything? Yeah. I drove a, um, a white BMW on Jay Leno's garage, which was actually a friend's car. Yeah, because <laughs> I blew my car up the day before. I was like, great. And I'd been drifting. Like, this was 2018 that this happened. And I had been drifting since 2014. So it's not like I blew the engine up from pure stupidity. Like, the engine just decided to seize. I was like, great. So <laughs> Isn't that how it goes with timing? I know, yeah. So then that engine seized. And I was like, oh, no. Now what? And so I was like looking it up on YouTube. I asked like a couple of friends that I knew that like had cars and stuff. I knew that it was possible to pull an engine because like I said, I was friends with Amelia and I'd seen it done before. I was like, mm-hmm. I guess I got to buy one of those like engine puller things. Cause you know, I was like, didn't know the difference. It was an engine <laughs> hoist. Thank you. Harbor Freight has them for like $150. So I was like, okay. Went to Harbor Freight, bought one of those, you know, like bought like a whole tool set and everything just to make sure that I had everything and I wasn't missing any sizes or anything. Figured out how to do that. Uh, so my first like real, real job was like an engine pull on my own car that I had just bought. Nothing like baptism by fire. Oh, God. Yeah. I was like, okay. So I learned how to do that. That took me probably like a month just to put another another stock engine in it. Just because I was like messing up. I didn't know what to do. I was like, just start taking yeah. stuff off and like hope that you remember where it goes, I guess. So I filmed everything so that I would remember where things went. That's the reason that I filmed. And that's why I started my it's YouTube brilliant. channel. 
Yeah. So I did that. You got a twofer, a two oh, yeah. for one. Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> oh, I like being on camera anyway, whatever. Then put another VQ in it. Um, I bought it off of some kid on Craigslist. Go to the track, drive it. VQ has low compression. I was like, great. So that one was trash. Couldn't even spin the tires. And I had a couple of my friends drive it too. I was like, it's not me. It's not me. It's the car. I don't know what's wrong with it. I don't understand. I didn't even know what low compression meant at all. I was like, okay. So then I was like, now what do I do? Because this one has low compression. I can't fix that. That one blew up. I can't fix that. You're 0 for 2. Yeah. (laughs) What do I do now? So then I was like, you know what? I've always wanted a turbocharged engine because I've heard that it's a totally different animal, like driving an engine that's turbocharged. I really want an inline six. So I did my research between like RBs and JZs, and I was like, I'm going to put a JZ in a 350Z. But the only problem was I was only able to find one on the internet. Uh, and the guy had the car was already running and driving and read his parts list from eBay off of a composition notebook. And that was the maximum amount of information that I had. Ooh. Yeah. So I was like, uh, I'm going to do it. Like, I was like, I'm going to do it because I really want to do it. So I was like, fine. Ordered my Jay-Z, uh, talked to a couple companies that I figured might, like, they already made swap kits for 350Zs, just not for a Jay-Z. And I was like, can you guys do this? You guys have a swap kit for this Jay-Z to this chassis, but not for it to 350Z. And, like, I want to do this. I already have the engine ordered. They were like, yeah, sure, but it's going to take us, like, a month and a half. So I was like, okay. So I replaced all my seals on my Jay-Z when I got it, took the VQ out, waited for those parts, and just figured it out for, like, a year, year and a half maybe. Just like I put the engine in the car and I was like, something's wrong with this thing. I don't know what it is. That was relatively recent, right? Within the last year or so? No. So my Jay-Z swap was done in 2019. Um, The car was like up and running. I remember the day before Christmas. It was like Christmas Eve that I turned the car on for the first time. On 19, right? 2019? That was December of 2018. Yeah. And then I drove the car for the first time in 2019. Um, so it had taken me about a, probably about a year to like, no, I think like just a couple months to actually get the engine in the car and get it running. But then I freaking struggled with the car. It was, oh my gosh, it was such a lemon. So slow. I found out later that my car was making 148 horsepower, which did not make any sense. That's slower than a 350Z stock. Yeah. Horrible. And that was because of the, oh, also when I got that engine, the turbos were blown. So that was a nice surprise. So I like had to figure that out right away uh, and like change the exhaust manifold and turbos and stuff. And like I oh, bought dude. horrible turbos, like bought terrible. It might as well have been from eBay. It wasn't from eBay. Horrible turbos. Horrible. Which is what was making my car make 148 horsepower. Yeah, because I basically wasn't building boost until like 5600 RPM and it would only last until about 6200, which is like nothing. What? Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Mm. Um, driving on the stock ECU because I was able to make it work. It's a very anticlimactic. Oh yeah, yeah, horrible. <laughs> and like I was just like, man. I'll do it. You know, Bree, I'm curious. You have a lot of interests now. Granted, there's ones that pay the bills. Yeah, I get that. The stunt driving pays the bills. And yeah, these cars that you're talking about rebuilding are like passion projects. You do that when you're not. You know, I'm using air quotes here. Working. Because to get, you know, probably the average person, including myself, mind wrapped around your day job is wrecking cars and stunt driving. <laughs> and, 
you know what I mean? Like it's hard for the average person to wrap their mind around that. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you were to rate them and you could only do one mm-hmm. and, and money weren't, you know, it wasn't about making money. What would you spend your time doing? Redoing cars or stunt driving? I think stunt driving, to be honest. I think stunt driving, just because stunt driving, there's always something new and it's always different. And then also you feel like you're accomplishing something, you know, like you always feel like you're like getting something done and you're part of like a bigger picture. And you're alive. That's a pretty big accomplishment. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but like drifting is like very like self-centered almost, you know, almost like a meditation. Is that how you would kind of describe it? It's like drifting is about you because it's about your car. You go to the track for you. You post content for you. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. But I think like stunt driving, you're part of like so much of a bigger picture mm-hmm. that it's like really rewarding to see that. And like there's so many people that are involved to like make something happen um, versus like drifting and like building cars and stuff. Like, yeah, I think it's just like a lot more self-centered. I think it's just a lot more like selfish of a thing to do. Which is weird. Not that it's a bad thing. It's no. just you, you like being part of the community. Yeah, I definitely have more fun drifting and building my car. And I think that that's what I'm like super like passionate about. But I think if I had to choose one thing over the other, it would actually probably be sun driving, which is a conclusion that I'm actually pretty surprised to make. <laughs> have you had any little girls come up to you just like in awe over what you do? No, not little girls, actually. No. Um, but like grown ass women, (laughs) yeah, even like girls my age and like older than me and stuff like, okay, like this is fine. What do they say? Oh my gosh. There's just so many of them that are just like, Hey, I like watch your YouTube channel. And like, I just absolutely love you. They're like, I think you're so cool. I like want to get into drifting and this and that. And like, I just like love watching your stuff and you seem so nice. And like, I just love that you're like learning. I think one thing that I really portray through my channel is that I don't know everything. You know, I have my one friend, Steven, that's on my channel all the time. Some people are like, oh, like Steven's always there and this and that or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, because I don't know everything. And Steven's been doing this like way longer than I have. So he's like here and make sure that I don't mess anything up. But the great thing about Steven is, is like, he doesn't make me feel stupid ever for like anything. He doesn't make me feel like, oh, that was a stupid question. Like, you know, whatever. If I ask him the difference between like a fuel feed line and a fuel return line he would not be like one feeds and one returns like you know what I mean like he wouldn't do that he would like (laughs) actually explain it to me and like not make me feel dumb for this stuff but it's great because he still lets me like do the work and ask all the questions even if it takes us like a thousand times longer than it should have especially while I'm filming and stuff um but he's just like very Mm -hmm. supportive in that way and like just you know make sure that I understand what I need to understand what I want to understand and like I actually learn about this stuff which is really great but yeah, I mean, I do have girls like come up to me and so, and a lot of like stunt women that have been in the industry like longer than I've been alive, even just like are like, I have like so much respect for you and like this and that, you know, because they're like afraid of driving, driving, stunt driving specifically is such a scary thing because you are in charge of this like 5,000 pound vehicle that can kill people. And like people are always standing way too close to you. Mm-hmm. It's not just you. And then the cameras are all the way over there. Usually the cameras are like right up on you until the very last second and you have to interact with other people, not just cars, like people. Give an example. Give an example of what you're talking about when you say that. Probably the most stressful stunt driving job I've ever had. Not because of the environment on set or because of the stunt coordinator or because of what they were asking me to do or anything of the sort. 
just because of the fact that I actually had to be involved with physical people on their feet, like for once. And we were in a very small area. It was this movie called Proud Mary. I was doubling Taraji Henson driving a Maserati. Um, so of course, when I got there, everybody was on edge because I'm much younger than she is. And now I'm supposed to be like sliding <laughs> this car around and like, nobody's ever like seen me before. <laughs> First time on set, there's another stunt double to do the other stuff. Do, do most of the people in the industry know you now? Yeah. Do you still get that when you go on set oh, and all the people are like, please girl, what? Do you, I, people think that I'm like 18 <laughs> years old, you know, like I don't look like, you know, I'm approaching 30 or anything either. So they're just like. How long have you had your driver's license? I'm like, trust me, it's fine. Like, and I'm going to give you the keys to this Maserati and you're going to do what with it? Exactly. They're like, okay, let's move your mark like five feet off of the wall just for starters. I'm like, no, it's fine. You can leave it where it's at. They're like, no, let's move it. I'm like, no, I'd prefer if you just left it where it's at. They're like, oh God. But yes, yeah, so I was driving on Proud Mary and there's a really cool driving sequence in Proud Mary and she enters this like building's parking lot or whatever and she is getting shot out. So she busts through the gates drives down this slope like this hill and then she crushes two guys with her car up against a brick wall so i had to literally be driving this direction slide the car 100 percent 180 and basically smash into these two guys and then she throws the car in reverse opens her door like while the car is in reverse another car that's parked takes her door off and then she drives backwards. Like she basically smashes the car into a, another brick wall and she just like throws it in reverse and it just like launches into the brick wall. That's what it's supposed to do. That's what it's supposed That's to look it... like. Yeah. But everything okay. was basically inches from that in reality. So the two guys that were getting smashed up against the building had like this like makeshift cage built around them, but only from the waist down because they were shooting. And they needed to be able to see the top of the guys and like they're supposed to go over top of the car and all this stuff looked like they got hit. So that's what it's supposed to look like. So they just have a cage from like the waist down. So like I can't see them, but I'm supposed to basically come within inches of the cage so that I don't actually hit them. But like don't hit the cage either because you're going to smash up the side of the car. Oof. And this they're actually up against the brick wall. They're like, yeah, I'm like, you guys aren't going to move them just for like cushion, like just in case. No, I was like, OK what yeah i was like so if i actually do over rotate and i do actually hit the cage they're definitely going to get at least a little bit of whiplash from being like right up against the wall too there's like no cushion you know what i mean like i'm like okay that's fine i get it the thing's on wheels so it's going to at least roll but lord like they're still gonna like you know get some whiplash out of it of course so there was that if you don't hit your mark yeah so and i mean by like the cage is here like to them and my car has to stop like this next to it so like inches in front of the yeah because they need to be able to like Mm -hmm. act like they fall onto the car like they're hit exactly so if the back of the car rotates and hits the cage the cage goes up against the wall and i'm like literally actually hitting them except they just have their legs still that's the only difference yeah like i was like okay and then the driving the car in reverse situation to have the door flung off don't forget now you don't have a mirror to look out of because your door is open So you can't look out of the mirror to like make sure that you're lined up properly. So I just had to like full send and reverse, like trusting my gut and like looking over my opposite shoulder that you usually wouldn't look over to make sure that I was close Mm -hmm. enough to the truck to take the door off, but not close enough to actually hit the back of my car on the truck and like make sure that I don't turn the steering wheel even when the door does get ripped off because you had one take to make this happen. Yeah, we're getting the door literally right off the hinges. So I was like, okay. 
So we did that. Um, and I had to make sure that, you know, my steering wheel wasn't going to get yanked because obviously there's impact. So I had to prepare myself for that impact and kind of try to figure out what exactly was going to happen, you know, and like kind of like predict what was going to happen. And then once the door was off of the car, we still had to ram into the back of the brick wall. Right. So then there's like these stunt guys standing behind my car while my car is like full speed in reverse that have to dive out of the way before I hit them. Yeah. And then there's actually a camera that I'm backing up to instead of the actual brick wall. We're just going to like insert this and we're going to have like a camera. So you have to notice stop it within a certain so you don't. Yeah, because the camera guy was like, oh, well, you stop too soon. (laughs) I was like, can you move? Why do you have to stand there? Why can't you put it on a tripod? I'm still going to be upset if I hit it. You know, it's like a $10,000 camera. There goes my paycheck. But like, you know, like, can you move, please? Like, nah, I got it. Because I had to do a certain move with the camera. Like, oh, God. Oh, God. And like, all of this was in a super small alleyway. Like, this was the entire, like, the biggest, like, sequence that I was talking about. And then the rest of it was just like a car chase, which in comparison to me, was like boring like it's not a boring car chase it looks great on film but like i was like okay this is cake in comparison to the rest of this that you guys had me doing like Mm -hmm. yeah that was probably the most stressful situation just out of curiosity brie that sequence that you just described is that a whole day of filming or is that multiple days of filming? oh god that was like three weeks that oh that was like three weeks because they still had they had another girl um there that was doing all the rest of the stunts this girl tara a really good friend of mine now and she was doing the rest of the stunts because Taraji is like basically like this badass in the movie and like I don't even understand what she's doing. I don't know if she's like a serial killer or if she's like a trained like assassin or something she's like something like that and like she like you know like handles all these weapons and like she's like super intellectual like really smart and like out things all of these bad guys and stuff I don't know I don't yeah no she's not the bad guy she's like a motherly figure to this boy in the movie um but yeah they had like a whole bunch of stuff to shoot so if i wasn't like actually shooting we were like rehearsing um and then also on the ground they put like this like pebble dusty kind of stuff that i don't remember the name of because it was like a better atmosphere which made everything like super slippery that's what i was wondering that had to change everything that's not like tired asphalt so how do you rehearse that because you can't just break up a bunch you know smash a bunch of cars no you can't at all and they have one maserati and that's it and then also the e-brake that they put in the maserati for that show specifically was non-intrusive they've got this really cool version of like a hydraulic braking system for cars it's like some kind of they use like an air compressor to do it so that you can tap into the main braking system of the car temporarily and then as soon as you take that out everything goes back to normal so like we only had that for the day that they hired the people to put it in that so like other than that i was just like just having to figure it out without it yeah you have all of the listeners on edge right now and they're probably all going to go watch proud mary now (laughs) (laughs) to see your sequence how did you do? I thought it was great. I was so sad that the that movie, in my opinion, like did not have enough marketing behind it. It's not that like, you know, it didn't do well or whatever. I don't know how well it actually did, but did not have like enough marketing. Like I didn't hear about it like at all. Didn't hear like commercials for it, whatever. I saw like a couple billboards, but that was the only reason that I even knew that it was out. Other than that, I had no idea. And I was so sad because I was like, that is like one of the coolest things I've ever done. And like you guys didn't even market it. Like nobody even knows about it. 
but it's a good movie. So you you feel that you nailed it? I think I did. Like I really think I did. Um, it was really really stressful. Like I said, um, and it was really like kind of difficult for me while I was there. Probably the most stressed out I've ever been on a job. Crew was great. Friends with a lot of those people now and stuff, which is probably one of the first times I ever made friends on set. But yeah, it was it was definitely some really tight situations. It was like a hundred percent testing my ability. Okay. Here we go. It's all about challenging. Now, does your dad go with you on set for any of that stuff? It really depends. Um, if somebody's having me crash or turn a car over, I make it a requirement for him to go on set with me. And he gets treated the same way that I do, meaning he gets paycheck. He gets his own room. He gets flown out by the production company, like all that kind of stuff. Um, but other than that, I don't really get to work with him that often. We maybe get to work together like mm-hmm. once a year, if that. And when you crash, why do you want your dad there? I mean, oh I don't want to be presumptuous and... Does he, like, an extra set of eyes to make sure you're safe? Yeah, I would never trust somebody to set up a car for me as well as my dad would. Because my dad wants to make sure that I don't die. Just, like, same thing for me with him. Like, when he does, like, cannons and stuff like that on set, he tries to make sure that I can go. Explain what's a cannon, just so... There's going to be a lot of Googling after (laughs) when people listen to this episode. A cannon is, like... It's basically creme de la creme of stunt driving. That's, like, the biggest stunt that you can do in a car... Unless if you basically like set the car on fire and send it through a hoop that's also on fire above a tank of sharks. So it's kind of like the biggest stunt that you can get aside from just making that stunt more extreme. So a cannon is basically, it's like a, it is a controlled explosion essentially. But there's basically, if you think of like a telephone pole being lodged into like the back end of your car, and then you have a button in your hand. And when you push that button, it sends the telephone pole out of the back of your car. So the back of your car comes flipping upwards. And then you continue to roll as long as you roll, depending on your speed and your angle of the car and everything like that. Yeah, it's probably the most like stunt, dr- dangerous stunt driving stunt that you can do. Um, have you have you done one? I've done two. You've done two? Yeah. <laughs> on, on, which, on which movies? Uh, on Treadstone. I did two of them on Treadstone. One for the rehearsal and then one for the actual show. And it was a TV show. I filmed that in Budapest, Hungary. Like the coolest place that I've ever been for stunt driving anyway. Uh, And yeah, that was like, that was such a cool thing. I actually did my second one. So I did my first turnover when I was 21 years old. My second turnover, I was 22, which was on Treadstone for that show in Hungary. And then the third one was actually on my 23rd birthday on that same show which was like actually pretty cool it was actually no it was really stressful and it kind of sucked because it was like my birthday and i was supposed to be like having fun and instead i was like stressed out about not dying on set but it was cool (laughs) yeah you're like so is 23 my last birthday (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that i want to work again on my birthday after that my dad loves working on his birthday i don't know that i'm down like i'm like i don't want to hear anybody yelling anybody i don't care if it's an ad yelling at an extra i don't want it like i'm not I'm yeah, like, I'm gonna yeah. stay home on my birthday from here on out. Um, but it was cool though; it was really cool. So the sidewinder, mm-hmm. we mentioned it briefly. If you were to summarize or describe it to someone, and you actually have it on your YouTube channel, right? Yes, I think yeah. that's why I watched it. Uh huh. Um, but I guess just through words, how would you describe a sidewinder? So if you imagine a ramp, right? But only one singular ramp. You basically would put your passenger side of your car or your driver's side of your car, just one half of your car hits the ramp and the other half of your car stays on the ground so that your car is like completely sideways. And once you go, actually, no, if you, 
go off of a ramp normally. So your car's not sideways. Your car just goes off of a ramp normally and you're like basically jumping the car. There's another vehicle parked on one half of your car. So either it's on the driver's side or on your passenger side. Mine was on my passenger side and it happened to be a taxi that was a minivan. It was like a minivan taxi. And basically when you hit that, that tosses the one side of your car downwards, the side that didn't hit, and the other side of your car upwards so that your car turns sideways in the air and rolls over until it lands. So it rotates kind of like a football would. Exactly. Exactly. So that's exactly what a sidewinder is. Um, And it's gnarly. It's definitely gnarly. That's probably the bravest that I ever had to be in my stunt career was when I did a sidewinder because I'd never done a car wreck before that and I literally just had to trust the stunt coordinators on the show which were Andy and Jack Gill like two of the biggest stunt coordinators in the industry like two of the like really really big time professionals A-list for sure talk about a trust exercise oh yeah and my dad too like I just had to trust them because I did not know I don't want to say I didn't know what I was walking into clearly I knew I was doing a sidewinder but I'd never done a car wreck before so I didn't know what to expect like, I was just like, okay, like, we're going to go this speed. I'm not, I, I can't question the speed because they know what this is supposed to be done at. I don't know what this is supposed mm-hmm. to be done at. So, like, I'm just going to follow you in, Andy, who's driving the camera car. Don't go faster, please. <laughs> you know? And then, like, that was pretty much it. And Do I, you still get scared? Like, do you get butterflies? What is that like? I mean, because you, you did dirt bikes and stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, any athlete... And I'm sure even, you know, people who uh, do concerts and anything like that, you kind of get those butterflies beforehand. You know what I mean? Do you still get that? Not with stunt driving, but drifting I do, which is the reason that I got so involved in drifting as much as I did. Because drifting, I think, like, doing events and stuff and literally seeing all of those people watching you and knowing that you have somebody, like, literally on your door or right on the back of your mm-hmm. bumper, like you know that you can't mess up because you guys are going fast. And to be honest with you, the guy behind you is probably not that good of a driver and probably isn't going to stop. So I think like drifting, I still get very nervous when I go and do events and stuff like that. And I think also because there's a weird difference between going to a drift event and going on set. So like, I think like drift events usually make me nervous. Number one, because I know a lot of people know me and they watch me on the internet. So I'm like, I better live up to their expectations because this is not edited because they're literally sitting here watching me now. And then also I have to make sure that I don't let my nerves get the best of me and that I don't seem standoffish. Um, So I'm like concerned about myself as a person and then also concerned about myself as a driver at the same time. Um, So it's like kind of weird because I have people come up to me in my pit area and like, hey, can I get a ride along with you? And then I expect to like do really, really good when they're in the car. And then I also have somebody on my tail that, like, I don't know who they are. And I don't you know. You do ride-alongs? Yeah. In drifting? Seriously? Yeah, people ride with us all the time. Yeah. All the time. That's, like, one of my favorite parts of drifting. No I love kidding. it. Mm-hmm. If an event says I'm not allowed to do ride-alongs, I usually won't even go. I'm just like, eh, that's okay. I'll sit this one All right, Brie, I'm signing up to do a ride-along with you sometime. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, like, drift events are just that much different because, like, I still get butterflies and I get really nervous at the drift events and stuff, but... um, (sighs) So you're just able to concentrate when you're working. Stunt driving, yeah. I think, like, I think that I'm not... I don't know what the difference is. I don't understand why it's so different because, like, stunt driving, obviously, when I get on set, like, people know who I am and they expect a certain level of talent from me and then also they're expecting me to do something and get it done in a certain amount of time, Mm -hmm. too. Like, I don't have all day. Like, stunt driving, like, by the third time, they're like, we're going to change the shot. 
you gave me no time to rehearse. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I don't even, I've mm-hmm. never even, even been in this car before and you're expecting me to figure it out in like three takes. But that's what you have to do. So you would think that sun driving, I'd get more nervous, but I don't. Like drifting, I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, I think like sun driving, I know that I'm there for a reason and that they brought me to the job for a reason too. And then honestly, I think the fact that there aren't a lot of women of color in my position, I think that I already know mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, we got the best we can get. Yeah. So if she's not going to do it or she can't do it or whatever it is, like they just move on from it. So I think that maybe that's why mm-hmm. I'm not um, so nervous when it comes to stunt driving. But like drifting on the other hand, whoo, girl, my nerves are all over the place at a drift event. I'm like, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's weird. That's cool, though. I get it. <laughs> but that's why I force myself to do it because I'm like, whatever this is, I have to make sure that I can still perform and like still do what I'm supposed to do. You know, that's why I keep pushing myself to go to drift events. First time I ever felt like that. I was like, Oh, this is the feeling that I used to get before a motocross race when I didn't know if somebody was going to like take me out in the first corner. It's a cool feeling. Yeah. Like I, I feel, I don't know. Like, I feel like everyone should have that. It, mm-hmm. it makes you feel alive. It does. You know what I mean? Yeah. I definitely think it does. I have one final question, and what we're going to do is launch into the red line round. Okay. My final question, I have a lot more questions out of curiosity, but (laughs) there's one particular that I'm curious about. That's been your experience as a woman of color, Mm -hmm. right? There's experiences as a woman in male-dominated industries, Mm -hmm. hands down. You add in an extra layer as being a woman of color. Yep. What has that been like and how have you handled it? And what suggestions and feedback would you give to people? And I'll say people in general. Because mm-hmm. I, I think, I believe in the good in people. But I believe people are ignorant. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean ignorant as in they're trying to be malicious, mm-hmm. ignorant that they don't know any better. Yes. And they're not sure how to ask or who, or maybe they don't even have anyone that they feel comfortable asking those questions to. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you could share, what has it been like? You've shared what it's, be, what it's been like as a female. What has it been like as a woman of color? It's, it's tough. It's really tough because as much as we hate to – even recognize it there is still a a layer of diversity that you have to go through and you never really know who you're dealing with or what you're dealing with until you're really dealing with them so uh there's a lot of times you know that I have felt like somebody did not want to hire me you know and I can feel that when I get on set obviously you can't tell over the phone because they got to get you there right but then as soon as you're there you're like are you picking on me because I'm younger than you or are you picking on me because you think I'm green or because I'm a girl or because I'm black you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. there's like so many different layers of questions that I usually have that I'm trying to figure out um but one thing that I will say is that whatever it is that makes you different you have to figure out how to use it to your advantage and that's what really made me realize like yeah, I'm a black girl that's doing some weird stuff for black girls to do, you know, but that's honestly what makes me my money. That's what separates me from the other women stunt drivers is my color. And that's the reason that I get called for that job. And they didn't get called for that job. Just like they get called for jobs I don't get called for because I don't match their description. They don't match my description. So we're not in competition. You know what I mean? So 
You just have to figure out how to use whatever it is that makes you different to your advantage. So another thing is I think just within even motorsports or within, you know, being like a mechanic or trying to learn how to, you know, work on stuff and stuff like that. Like if that's what makes you different, you shouldn't necessarily be ashamed of that or feel like that's a disadvantage for you because in reality it is an advantage for you. And that's what sets you apart from everyone else. So even when it comes to, let's say, okay, so let's like even the playing field, right? Drifting. Drifting, the thing that I love about drifting and the thing that I really love about cars is that it does not matter what description you are. It doesn't matter if you're a boy, if you're a girl, if you're short, if you're tall, if you're black, if you're white, it doesn't matter. Like none of the stuff matters whatsoever. It doesn't matter even what your weight is because when you're behind a steering wheel and you have a steering wheel and a gas pedal, the car's only going to go as fast as it goes. Okay. It is literally the most even playing field that you could possibly have. So you just really have to figure out why you're considering what it is that you have that's different about you to be a disadvantage. So the way that I use me as an example in the most even playing field, the way that I use my, my difference as an advantage is when I send out proposals to companies for sponsorships, right? When I was like trying to get sponsorships and stuff like that, what makes me different from these other drifters that they have that are sponsored drivers already. Why would they want me? Cause I'm a girl. Why do we care for what it's your car? Mm-hmm. Like you're going to go and drive your car. Are you not? So what makes a difference that you have a vagina and they don't, why do I care about that? Right. right? So then yeah. another thing, okay, well I'm a black girl and that doesn't matter when you're racing. Does it? Okay. What else do I have? Okay. Well I'm a stunt driver. The difference between me and these other drifters is that I do this professionally And then I have to be precise every single time that I do something. I can't just like, you know, dirt drop and oh my gosh, ha ha ha, it's so funny. Like, no, that could have been a camera right there that I could have destroyed. And when you need me to put Mm -hmm. a car in a place that it needs to be in, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be consistent and you can trust that I'm going to be consistent. So therefore, if you want to shoot stuff for your new products with me and this and that and whatever, you can trust that you're going to get it done safely and quickly. And it's going to look look good at the same time because that's what I do for a living is I drive on camera for a living and push cars through their limits on camera precisely for a living. And you can count on me to hit the same mark over and over and over again. Also, I have a different avenue of audience than everybody else does. Because guess what? I'm in a network that you're not in. I'm in an industry that you're not in. So when these mm-hmm. stunt drivers decide that they want to build drift cars, who do you think that they're going to ask? They're not going to ask the drifters. They don't know them. They're going to ask the stunt driver kid that drifts. So now you have a whole different market of people that you're appealing to. And then also another thing for you too, is like a lot of these girls, these younger girls and girls that aren't into these motorsports yet are nervous to get into these motorsports. And the last thing that they want to do is ask a boy, Oh, what do I do to like get into drifting? Cause they don't want to get made fun of and they don't want to feel like they're being like a poser or like, you know, whatever. Cause a lot of guys think that about girls just trying to get attention. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to feel that way when they talk to me about it. I'm a person that actually responds to like all of my direct messages. So that's the difference. You know what I mean? And that's the leverage that I have. Brie, you bring up a great point just thinking around sponsoring. The largest untapped population, when you think about automotive in general, Mm -hmm. all different avenues of it is women. Mm -hmm. That's true. Huge, Mm -hmm. huge market that's untapped. And it's just because they've never made the effort to try to market to them. Yep. It's true. That's a great point. Yeah, those are things that I bring up to them like all the time, you know, and I do it subliminally too. Like it's just within my proposal, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like we don't have to have a whole long conversation about it. But I have gotten 
every sponsorship that I've applied for. I haven't been declined from a sponsorship. So it's literally just figuring out how to use your disadvantage to your advantage is really the only thing that it is. You have to stop looking at it as like kryptonite. Like that's your superpower. That's the difference. That's a beautiful way of putting it. And, <laughs> and it's not that you don't mention it, mm-hmm. right? You still include it. Yeah. You just don't rely on only that. Exactly. Exactly. You know, to be honest with you, somebody that made a huge difference in my life that probably doesn't even know it is Rihanna. The singer. Yeah, the singer. <laughs> yep. She was dating Chris Brown um, whenever, like whatever time she was dating Chris Brown. My dad had to teach Chris Brown how to ride a motorcycle for a movie. He was doubling him for something and they needed Chris Brown to ride up to camera and I guess either take his helmet off or he had to ride up with his helmet off. So they needed him to actually do it and not like my dad. Yeah. So they were like, oh, we just want to like have him like, you know, literally like ride up and stop or whatever. Can you teach him? So my dad was like, yeah, sure. So we went up to a parking lot uh, that was reserved for us for rehearsal. But it was just like me, Rihanna, my friend that my dad let me bring with me, my dad and Chris Brown on this rooftop. And then the guy that brought the motorcycle. And that was pretty much it. Did you say a rooftop? Yeah, it was like a rooftop that I guess like the production had rented out, but they didn't need like a bunch of people there for the rehearsal. They were just like, ah, really? The only people that need to be there is like Jay, which is my dad, Chris, and then the guy that's bringing the motorcycle. I'm still wrapping my mind around teaching someone how to drive a motorcycle on a rooftop. It was like, it was like a that parking garage seems... like rooftop. Like it was like you go on top okay, of the building gotcha. thing. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, I gotcha. confused. I'm just like, huh. <laughs> yeah, it was like the I'm top with of you a, now. it was like on top of a building, like one of the like car dealership rooftop type of deals. Um so gotcha. it was like that. Okay. And uh yeah, so my dad had to teach him how to do that. And Rihanna was just there, like standing around because she was dating Chris Brown or whatever and just hanging out. And so my dad, I don't know if he had talked to her or what happened, but I remember she was just like making conversation with like a child. How old were you at this time? Oh man, this was when I was in my awkward stage of life. So I must've been like eight, maybe. Oh, really young then. Yeah, maybe like eight or nine. And um, she was just having conversation with like a child, essentially, you know, like, what do you like to do for fun? You know what I mean? Like that kind of conversation. And I like told her that, you know, I ride dirt bikes and this and that or whatever. And um, she and I got in this whole conversation about bullying, like about like, you know, the way that I was being treated and stuff in school. And um, I remember she told me she apologized to my dad because she like cursed in the conversation. But I think she just wanted to like really like get through to me. And she was like, do not mm-hmm. stop doing what you're doing, because one day that's what's going to make you your money. She's like, I guarantee you. I was like, mm hmm. I remember she was just like talking to me and like talking to me about the other kids and like stuff like that. And she's like, the only reason why I am where I am today is because I kept doing what I was doing, even though I was getting made fun of because I looked different and because I acted different from these other kids and like this and that and blah, blah, blah. And it was just, I remember it was like such a life changing moment for me because somebody that was successful at what they were doing and like somebody that I literally listened to on my iPod was like telling me, yeah. she's like, that's going to be cool. Yeah. Like, she's like, that's going to be cool. Do not stop doing what you're doing. Cause one day that's, what's going to make you your money. I guarantee it. And now it's just not mom and dad saying that to me. Exactly. Yeah. So it made a really big difference for me. And I remember it so clearly, so clearly. And then like the other day, I remember I was looking through like Twitter and it was Rihanna's birthday. And I was like, She's like 31. Like now that I like realize I'm like, you're literally like six years older than me. I thought you were like 15 years older than me at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because of the age. Yeah. Yeah. I was like thought of her as this like full grown adult. And I was like, what? You were like in your 20s when you were talking to me? What the heck? Like, that doesn't make any sense. 
Yeah. But yeah, that made a really big difference. Yeah. You know, and then even watching her too, like growing up from when she was doing, you know, her original album with SOS on it to like, you know, bad girl Riri and everything and like just her change of pace. And now what she's known for and like her style and everything like that. Like, I'm like, yeah, she is different. And like, she doesn't care. And that's exactly what makes her different from all these other people. Like now that I'm growing up, I'm realizing that's what really makes you special is like whatever is different about you from everybody else. You don't actually want to fit in. That's like the worst thing that you could possibly do. And I thought my parents were just telling you that. Yep. I've been trying to teach my kids that my daughter still struggles with, she gets tired of explaining to people that she has two moms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told you, I said, Jaden, you, you watch. That's my daughter's name. She's 13 now. I said, it, it's those things that make you different mm-hmm. that you will come to love and realize that that's, mm-hmm. it's those things. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Bree, we ended up taking a little longer than I expected, but uh, I think this is a good time to launch into the red line round because I could ask you a hundred other questions, but uh, to be cognizant of... Uh, your time. Uh, let's dive into the red line round. What it is, five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. It's whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yeah. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your career? My dad. That makes sense. You've been talking about him. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of guessed. Yeah. I've always known that I have like big shoes to fill. And like, I always, every time that I do something, I'm like, would my dad be proud of that? Like, what would my dad say about that? You know what I mean? You need to get like one of those bracelets. What would dad say? <laughs> what, <laughs> what would dad, dad do? Say? Yeah. Like, I'm like, <laughs> if my dad would change something, I should probably just change it. Cause if not, I'm going to hear about it later anyway. So <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck? YouTube. <laughs> I learn everything off of YouTube. What excites you most about what you do, Bree? Uh, learning. I think learning something new every time that I do something is probably what gets me most excited. I still have to wrap my mind around the stuff that you learn is like very dangerous. It's so oddball. Coding or something. I mean, even like, no, let me tell you, I, so I have my own business. I have a business. It's called chasing checkers. And, um, I learned how to build my website. I just started this business. Like January 1st, 2021 was my launch day. I saw that. And congratulations, (laughs) by the way. Yeah. I learned how to build my website just so I could like maintain it on my own and not pay somebody every time I wanted to release products because I come out with new merchandise every month. So I was like, oh, that's going to get expensive. That's just another monthly expense, you know, for me to pay for. Did you end up going with WordPress? No, I use Squarespace. Squarespace. Yeah. Yeah. So I like learned how to build my website. Girl, I'm so excited. I've just been so excited to like literally update my website like every single week I like learn something new and it's the most exciting thing. It's amazing. It's it never ends. No, it doesn't. You know what I'm saying? It really does. It's doesn't. like what I shared with you about automating this technology where I I implemented Calendly and I started user using Riverside FM. Heck yeah. And getting some of this stuff automated for like automated uh text reminders and stuff to my guests. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> exactly. I, get excited. I just get excited to learn new things all the time. doesn't matter what it is. Like, I always get excited to learn something new. For sure. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in your industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? A personal habit or practice? A personal habit or practice that helped me when, I'm, when I feel discouraged. 
Interesting. I think usually there's a lot of times that I go on set specifically. The coordinator that I'm working for is not a driver. And they will admit that they're not a driver right away because they know that I'm going to start using all these terms that they don't understand. So I think that knowing that I am the best person to be doing what I'm doing is what really makes me feel better. And I have to remind myself of that a lot. Even when I'm at the drift track sometimes, like I built my car and I know all the different things that I did to my car, whether it's right or wrong, you know, maybe if I mix something up or whatever, like I put a vacuum line where it's not supposed to be, I did it. So I know that whoever's going to figure out what the problem is with the car is me and I need to be there to do it. Even if somebody has more knowledge than I do, I know that I'm the best person to be where I'm at at the moment because I'm the person that should be there because I did that. So I think that that's usually something that I remind myself is that I do belong where I'm standing most of the time. So it's almost like um, kind of like self-talk, like the internal mm-hmm. self-talk. Reminding yeah, I think yourself, so. You belong. Yeah, it's just like confirmation or I guess like affirmation that like, yes, like that's you are supposed to be here right now, no matter how frustrated you are. This is what you're supposed to be doing right now. Love it. And finally, what is your parting advice to other femcandics finding their way in this industry? Probably just to use your diversity to your advantage is probably what I would mostly say is the most important takeaway from this if you get anything from it. There's no shame in that. Own it. <laughs> and it's okay. It's so true. Capitalize on it, really. I mean, you know, you can figure out how to do that. Um, yeah, just capitalizing on it is what's really going to make you stand out. Surprisingly enough, it'll make people connect with you more. Because when you look like you're perfect, nobody can relate to that. It's true. So It's so true. In fact, they'll get quite envious and then they probably won't like you and you won't be able to figure out why. <laughs> so... True, true. Listen to Brie <laughs> dropping knowledge bombs on you right now. The 24-year-old knowledge bomb dropper. <laughs> are you 25? Did I no, say 24? No, I'm 24. 25. Yeah, I'll be 25. 25 you are 24. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So June. June. Yep. Not that far off. No. Not that far off. You're <laughs> in a, what, couple months, you'll be a quarter of a century old. I know. I was just talking to somebody about that the other day, and I was like, isn't 25 like a big deal or like yeah you're in your mid-20s I was like oh my god you're right and then I'll never be in my mid-20s again after like 25 26 and I'll be in my you're due 20s. to hit a quarter life crisis <laughs> <laughs> like wow everyone okay. has the quarter life I just, midlife yeah I'm just happy that I'm happy you know like I'm happy that I feel like I have a purpose that I'm not you know confused and like trying to figure it out and stuff to be honest like when you're still in that stage of like oh i'm confused or i'm trying to figure something out like that's still a good one too because you're still like trying to figure out what actually makes you happy but i'm glad that i've Mm -hmm. figured that out and that i'm going after it so (laughs) for sure and finally brie where and how can people connect with you and your company instagram is probably my biggest platform but i tend to put it off so i think my youtube channel is probably the easiest way to like get in contact with me because I get excited for YouTube notifications. I'm like, oh, somebody commented on my video. Like they actually had something to say. <laughs> Instagram people are like quick to do that. And that is, what is your YouTube channel name? Oh, uh, my YouTube channel name, you can find it under Brie Lynch or you can find it under Helmet Hair with two R's. Helmet Hair? With yeah. Hair? 
is that literally just from wearing a helmet? That's is I that mean, what that came uh, from? That was another thing too. Was I was like, okay, gonna use this disadvantage to my advantage. You know, um, I liked helmet hair because I always had helmet hair, and then also my hair is like <laughs> naturally very curly, so it also makes me different um, from like everybody else. So I just I don't know. That was like something that I capitalized on. I got made fun of for my hair a lot too, and then I just stopped caring. And I was like, you know what? I don't care. Like I'm kind of you know have my curly hair or whatever if you want to call that weird or whatever it is like it doesn't really matter it's gonna be under a helmet anyway so <laughs> capitalize on it for sure <laughs> yeah that's the good stuff Bree. thanks so much for being on the show and just letting us into your world a little bit and sharing some of your history and personal experiences i appreciate it oh yeah of course my name is Bree Lynch. I'm the founder of chasing checkers racing a car enthusiast and a professional stunt driver and i'm like a stunt mechanic Martina Kwan is in the driver's seat next. She is the world's only female Chinese-European race car driver that is a three-time champion in her Porsche 911. She set track records in each of her Porsche car classes. She spent her childhood in Asia, Middle East, and Europe, but credits many of her character-shaping experiences from living in a war-torn Beirut, Lebanon between the ages of 8 and 10. Be sure to tune in to this powerful interview next week. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, And most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?